you'll stand with me as we read the Word of God in Romans chapter 5. Romans five twelve through 21. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is the type of him who is to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for by the transgression of the one, the many died. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the one hand the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord can be seated. I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. Father, we admit, Lord, we need you. We are nothing without you. We have nothing without you. We are weak and hopeless without the work of Christ in our lives. And we ask that this morning you would open our eyes to your glory. Lord, reveal the glory and honor that's due Christ's name to us this morning. And Father, call us to be holy as you are holy. Call us, Lord, to draw close to you, to be like you, Lord. And Father, I just pray that your spirit would be poured out in this church this morning and that you, Lord, would be worshipped in spirit and in truth as we hear your word and speak your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So, last week, it was really important that we see a, a, a slight overview. What we talked about was the fact that in Romans chapter 5, 1 through 11, Paul is trying to let us know that our justification has actual results. It's going to bring actual results. So our justification is by faith and it should bring peace. And and if we have peace, it's because we have hope. And that hope is based on a, a real, actual historical event. And that event took place on the cross of Calvary and then with his resurrection. So our hope 
is in Christ and what he did, his death and resurrection. And through that hope, we have hope in the reconciliation with God that when we become children of God, we are reconciled. We were once enemies of God, as it says there in verse 10. So we were enemies of God, and yet God sent his son to reconcile us to himself. He didn't come to us and say, here, I need you to reconcile yourself because there was no way we could pay that. So we are reconciled with God. And because we are reconciled with God, we have hope of the eternal life in him. Therefore, verse 12, just as through one man, which man? Adam. This is through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. It's interesting, this is, this is kind of like an if-then, right? Or, or it's, it seems like he's starting a comparison here in verse 12, right? He's, he's saying, you know, just as through one man, well, and then there should be a comparison. But what happens? He, he gets cut short. I think he might have found a rabbit trail. His thoughts went to somewhere. Because when he says, through one man sin entered the world, okay, we make, that makes sense. Adam sinned, and through his sin, sin entered the world. But there in, verse, in the second part there, it says, and death through sin. Okay, so now we, we can be reminded, as Paul has already said multiple times, that death is the wage of sin. And I don't I think it's important we define what does he mean by death? Because some people will say, well, he's just talking about mortal death. Or some will pay say he's just talking about spiritual death. I think he's talking about both. Because if you see what he's talking about later on, it definitely means mortal death because he says there in verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. So it's something that we can see. But I believe that he's not just talking. I think that uh, the Apostle Paul is referring to both spiritual death, eternal um, being cut off completely from God, as well as this physical death that we encounter. So, the, and death through sin... So sin was the result, or death was the result of our sin. And, in, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. What does he mean here? Because he's saying, and so because of the de- sin of one, death, and death, the result of sin, spread to all men. Why? It says because all sinned. Is he saying that each individual person sinned? And that's why death came in the world? Or is he saying that because Adam is the type or the the, um, representative of man, the first man, that sin and death entered the world? I think it's the latter. I believe because Paul, that's why Paul gets off on a tangent, because he's He's assuming that his readers are thinking one question. Wait, the people who followed Adam didn't sin like Adam in the same way. 
to an explicit command. So how is that possible? And so that, that's the question that Paul is going to at, answer, try to answer in 13 and 14. Because when I read thir- verse 13, I had a really hard time as I was studying because it's a difficult section of Scripture. Because this, this section of Scripture is actually used by many to say, well, you know, somebody in the jungle can't go to hell, right? If, if they want to. If they don't, if they ignore the context of what Paul is saying here. So Paul, Paul is trying to answer this question. What, how did this sin enter the world? Like, was it, was it, uh, how did these people who didn't sin like Adam, why were they dying? So we see in verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world. Okay. What does that mean? So until the law, what law? The law of Moses. That's what he's referring to until the law. And, the, and we know that for sure because you look at verse 14. So until the law, sin was in the world. So sin from Adam to Moses existed. Right? And how do we know this? And then he, he kind of says something negative. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. So it seems like a contradiction, right? So if sin was in the world but there wasn't a law, then how, how was sin being, why were people dying? That's what the imputation is talking Like, why, why in the world were people in this world dying if there was no law in the world? But we, we know, right? Because otherwise this verse can be really confusing. Because he's saying, you know, there was no law, as in Moses' law, but sin was in the world. So in verse 14, he kind of explains this. I think this really helps us. He says, nevertheless, or yet, we could say yet, death reigned. Now this word reigned is used multiple times in this section of Romans chapter 5. This word reigned, I think oftentimes we read words like this and we forget where they're coming from. It's the same word that you would use to talk about a king ruling. When a king rules. And I feel like this, this word is a despot ruling. And we can think of many despots in our time. Men like Castro. And honestly, I feel like one of the worst rulers in this, in this realm, we could think of Hitler... Or even Stalin was just as bad or worse. These men had no problem killing, bringing the death of many. They were reigning through death, and we'll see that later on in this. So, nevertheless, death reigned. Why? Because sin was in the world. Men were by nature sinners, so death reigned from Adam until Moses. That doesn't mean it stopped at Moses, but what Paul is trying to point out is just because God hadn't given the, the Ten Commandments and then all the law that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai, that did not mean that sin was not rampant in the world. It was just the explicit command of God was not known to the world. Just as if you 
turn back to Romans chapter 1 where we, we, we looked at how God demonstrates His character through creation. That's why we're without excuse. Because it is proclaiming the glories of God. It's not as, as full as what we have in God's Word, but it is a means of indicting us before God. That is why sin is imputed when there seems to be no law. There is law. That's why it's being imputed in death. That's why death reigned from Adam until Moses. And then verse, the second half of this is, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Okay, what was the offense of Adam? Let's look at that. Because if we don't understand what he's saying, then this doesn't really help us, right? So let's look back at Genesis chapter 2. And I want to look at first God's command in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And then we'll, we'll look a little bit later. It says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Okay, that's great news. He's going to get to eat from every tree, even the apple tree, because I... I promise you the apple tree is not the one that gave us uh, knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> I, I don't believe we may like the apple because you can bite into it, but there was some fruit that, that they could bite into. I don't believe that tree is growing all around the world. That, again, that is opinion, so you don't have to go and tell somebody that thinks it's an apple, you know, uh, I think it's interesting that my favorite computer is a bite taken out of an apple. Maybe it's leading to sin. I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyways, that's a side note. Um, so you may eat freely. So God's not saying you can't have anything. A lot of people want to say that about God. You know, you won't let me do anything. Or I'm sure I never said that to my parents as a kid. You won't let me do anything fun. <laughs> I'm sure I did. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the, the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, the descendants of Adam, did they eat of the tree? No. But they still died. That's what Paul is talking about. When we eat, when, when Adam ate of that tree, his, that death spread to all his people, all his seed. So the, the guilt of Adam's sin was not just on Adam, it was transferred or placed or imputed upon every single man and woman that came from him. So, then you get to the end of chapter 2. Or, let's actually go to... Well, it, I think we should refer to this. And the end of it, it says, The man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Why? Because they weren't in sin. 
They had no reason to be in shame because they were not in sin. But the interesting thing is this changes at the moment that they realize what good and evil is. At that moment, Adam went from the perfect husband to the bad husband, imperfect husband. Eve went from the perfect wife to an imperfect wife. And they began to see flaws in one another. Can you imagine before that there were no flaws, period. They didn't even know what a flaw looked like. But when they ate of that tree, and the interesting thing is, because of this sin, guess what? Even in eternity, what does it say that we're dressed in? Robes of white. Isn't that interesting? That even in eternity, there is a a sense in which we are robed. God provides a robe through Christ. So, the story of the fall. Verse chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said. If you hear somebody start off a sentence, has God really said that? How many of you all have heard something along those lines? You might want to say, do you have a split in your tongue? <laughs> that might not be, <laughs> that might not get a, get a good response, but that's how most people question God. Has God really said that? I mean, I think you're, ta- you're, you're going overboard. Has he really said you should not eat from any tree of the garden? The, the serpent is trying to say, he's trying to get them to believe that, well, God's not being fair. God is not being loving because he's trying to convince them of that. But then it says, and the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit tree, fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. Okay, so she's saying, no, I'm sorry, Satan, you're, you're wrong, serpent. You, you're off in what you, you, you don't know what God said. But from the fruit of the apple tree, oh, sorry, I was, I, I think I inserted it. From the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you shall surely die. Is that what God said? Mostly, but it may be, it may be that Adam told Eve because God gave the command to Adam before Eve was made. So Adam is the the man of the home, the spiritual leader of the home. He he had told her. Maybe he told her this. Maybe he said, "Okay, Eve, I think it's better if we don't even, you know, touch it, because if we touch it, we're going to want to eat it." And so let's, let's just draw the line way over here. Let's, let's get so far away that we stop going to the middle of the garden. We don't, you know, probably, probably if they had not sinned, their great-grandkids would have said, don't even look at the tree. It was, it was kind of a, a sense of legalism there. But he said, don't even eat from it or touch it. But that's not what God said. He said, don't eat from it. 
And then the serpent just hammered away at it. And he said to the woman, you surely will not die. Come on, you, God's not going to make you die. So what is, there's, there's a couple things that we see here. Surely you will not die. So the serpent saying, there's no, yeah. Eve, God is just using scare tactics. He's trying to scare you into to doing what he wants. And, you know, God won't do that to you. Why does he say that? You know, how is that possible? He says, to, 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 to further his argument, he says, For God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. No serpent saying, God won't kill you. He's just going to be upset because now you're going to be like him. Isn't this the sin that we all, we all want to be gods to ourselves? That's, that's what rebellion is. We are trying to, us- uh, I can't even say the word, usurp the throne that God should be on. And we're trying to put ourselves on it. And that's what, what the serpent is pointing to. You want to be the thr- on the throne, but what's the problem? Who ends up being on the throne? Death and sin end up being on the throne of our hearts. Not us, in a sense us. It's selfish, okay. <laughs> All three of those things are on the throne. Our selfishness. And so, but really, the result is death. The serpent understood that she wouldn't die right away, but he left out the fact that she would die eventually. Because if she had not sinned, what would have happened? She would have never died. Ever. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, hmm, that's that looks good. That tastes good. Isn't that how the lust of the eyes starts there? And that it was a delight to the eyes? I mean, that any what sin do we commit that doesn't involve looking? Um, unfortunately, we use sin to describe eating chocolate. Right? I, I can't remember what I was listening to, but oftentimes we... We say, oh, it's so sinful to eat that Godiva chocolate. No, it is not. <laughs> Unless it's gluttony, it is not. Chocolate, eating a certain type of food is not sin. What is sin is doing what we know God says not to do. An explicit sin. And then, so it's not just that it looked good, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So that there's all these things coming together at once. And she's like, okay. So she took from the fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her and he ate. This is the interesting thing. They were together the whole time. It seems. Right? Because he says, she gave also to her husband with her. Why wasn't Adam responding to the serpent? Why do you think the serpent attacked her? Adam was, he wasn't taking the role he should have. 
as the husband. He, he knew the command exactly. But he didn't do anything. He let, Ad, he let Eve take a bite, and when she said, Oh, this is good. He's like, Okay, give me a bite now. And then, it's interesting, when God comes to them, who, who does the woman blame? The serpent. It's all his fault. I'm a victim. And who does Adam blame? Eve, but ultimately, he blames God. Why? Look, if you look here, when he gets to Adam, Where? Sorry, I I lost my. <laughs> Is it verse twelve? Sorry, the man said, "The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the tree from the tree." Though so it it's her fault, but it's ultimately your fault because you gave her to me. You shouldn't have given her to me. Even though when I saw her coming, I was like, "Whoa, man." Or, it's funny, the Hebrew word just adds an A to the end of the word for man to make woman. So he's like, Isha, oh, that's way better than any of the other animals God has brought me to see if there were any suitable mates. But it's interesting, at the moment that they chose sin, it says, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Had they ever done that before? Why did that change? They had sinned against God. Just like when a father gets home from work, typically, what do the kids do? Daddy's home. They're running to the door. They want to tell you about everything that happened that day. But what about if mom told them they're going to get a spanking when daddy gets home? Where do you think they are? They're probably trying to clean up something or hiding in their bedroom, hoping mom forgot. I, ne I never did that. <laughs> Actually, I did. But isn't that so, such a, it's a similar picture, right? We, we do the same thing in relationships. If we've hurt someone, and we haven't seen them since that's happened, we try to avoid talking to them, Right? You know, let, let's say you hurt somebody a month ago in the family, and then, okay, Thanksgiving's coming. Oh, no, now I've got to go talk to these people. Oh, this is going to be terrible. So you try, to, you try to avoid, okay, who can I talk to until I have to talk to that person? But before that, your relationship was great. And that's how sin works. It cuts us off from God. It makes us desire to stay away from God, not to run to God. 
That's what happened. They, they saw their sin. They saw their wickedness. And they couldn't go to God because they knew that God would not be pleased in what they had done. And when God called them, he's, he's like, where are you? God knew where they were, obviously. God knows all things. But I think this is t- telling, it's telling, one, typically God didn't have to look, look for them. They were running to him when he came into the garden. And two, He shouldn't be calling them. He didn't, need, he didn't know, need to know where they were, but they were hiding. And what was their reply? At this point, Adam is actually talking. And he says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And God said, or sorry, and then he said, Yeah, God said, who told you that you were naked? You should have known that. That doesn't, that that was not a knowledge that you would have had before something changed. And Adam automatically, he knows that the reason he knows that is because he sinned. Because he says, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The woman whom you gave me. And so, we see the type, the form in which Adam sinned. Adam sinned against a direct, explicit command of God. That's what, what he's talking about. That's why, if we turn back to Romans, I think we've got a good picture of, of Adam's sin. That's why when he says, for until the law, sin was in the world. And, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. But death reigned, or nevertheless death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So, those who were dying, again, we're, we're, I'm just hammering home this point because the first point is we are represented by Adam first. And today's message is titled, Who's Your Representative? So we are all represented in Adam and we all have original This is the word that's used, original sin. We are by nature sinners. I don't have to teach my kids to disobey me. If they were, if they never met another child who was disobedient, they would still disobey. I don't have to tell them to lie to me. They naturally do it eventually. Typically early on they're mostly honest, but eventually they will lie to you when they realize it's going to lead to discipline. 
So though no one after Adam sinned in the same way that Adam had, in the sense that God had not made it explicit what not to do, like he had told word for word to Adam, do not eat of this fruit, the fruit of this tree. You can eat everything else, but not this one. In the same way, all his descendants didn't have that explicit command, don't do this, don't do that. Until Moses, there's not a, a written, spoken, clear law from God. Right? And so, he's saying, look, death reigned because Adam was our representative. If he was in a court of law... He would have been condemned in every single one of his children after him, his descendants. That, that sin was passed on from Adam to his descendants, to his seed, as they would say. Because Adam was a type. The difference is he sinned. Adam was created perfectly. God said when he got finished, everything was exceedingly good. Abounding in goodness. But unlike Christ, Adam sinned. Adam disobeyed God. And through that, sin entered the world. And death through sin. And thus, death spread to all men. And that death reigned. And it still reigns. In a sense, not over Christians. The, the second death does not. We, we all experience physical death. But by God's grace, we don't experience the second death. Now, it seems like Paul's getting back on track. So he, he's showed us that we have a representative our representative is Adam. And because of him, we have all sinned. But, there's good news. But the free gift, the gift that we didn't have to pay for, the gift that was given, is not like the transgression. For by the transgression of the one... Who's he referring to? Adam again. The many died. Every single person who has died physically and eventually spiritually has, not, has been cut off from God has died in their sin because of the sin of Adam to the explicit command of God. Much more Again, we're seeing comparison. This whole section is comparison. What does sin bring and what does Christ bring? Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. This a word abound is like over abundantly. But what's it referring to? 
Let's go back. And the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. What was it? Is it the gift or the grace that's abounding? It's both, but more specifically, it's referring to the gift of that grace. That gift came by the grace, but the gift is an abounding gift. What is the gift? Righteousness. That righteousness that we've talked about, the justification, declared righteous before God. We are no longer enemies of God. So the free gift is not like. And we see that again in verse 16. It's the same. He doesn't use the word free, but the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose, came up, from one transgression resulting in condemnation. So in verse 15, we see that the free gift is not like the transgression of the one because it doesn't bring forth death. Many do not die because of the free gift. In verse 15. But the difference is the grace, the gift of God is abounding, overflowing in verse 15. In verse 16, we see that the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment and condemnation, those two go together. So the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. So the result of the transgression of Adam is condemnation. And that's why I believe when Paul is talking here, he's talking about not just physical death, but spiritual death as well. This is where it kind of transitions that our condemnation is separation from God eventually. Eventually, just like Adam and Eve will be, we are put out of the garden. God cannot stand wickedness in His presence. And in the same way, we are put out. But, on the other hand, good news, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Now this is very strange wording, I think. It says, the gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. That seems like an oxymoron, right? Like, how does transgression lead to justification? And I believe that what he's saying is the transgressions of the world have been placed, the many transgressions have been placed on Christ. He bore it and it led, resulted in our justification. This is, again, opinion, uh, my opinion on this. But you can take it how you would like. But I believe that's what he's saying, that that the free gift came for that purpose. And he explains this further in verse 17, for by for if by the transgression of the one 
death reigned through the one. What is he saying here? We talked about how death reigned, but through the one. Who? Through Adam and his seed. Right? So death is reigning in the seed of Adam. Right? Years and years and years and years and years. It doesn't stop at the law of Moses. It keeps going. How many people can you think of in the Old Testament who did not die? Any numbers? There, there's a couple people. We know Enoch. Elijah. But outside of that, so in centuries, thousands of years, we only have two accounts of men who did not die. That's incredible. That just shows the full weight of the sin of Adam that is passed on from Adam to every single one of his descendants. Death was an evil dictator. He was reigning with terror. We've heard that phrase, the reign of terror. When they talk about evil kings throughout the ages, oh, he had a reign of terror. People didn't want to mess with him because they were afraid they were going to die. In this case, the one who was reigning was death itself and has been reigning. And is reigning, unfortunately, in the lives of many who have not turned their lives over to a new representative. That's the thing. If we stay with our representative in Adam, we have no hope because death is reigning. But much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. See what he's flipping it. We receive the abundance of grace, God's grace that he's poured out on us by, by his, his spirit. That when we receive that grace, the, the ability to repent, the ability to follow Christ, to be born again. When we are born again, that gift of righteousness, the declaration of our righteousness before God is given to us. And guess what we do now? We reign in life. We no longer reign in death. That's the difference. God, through Jesus Christ, is reigning in life, giving life to us. And when we share the gospel, we are giving life by the Holy Spirit, it's not us, to others. Because they may die physically, but if they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, what joy they will have when they see Him. They're not going to get to heaven and be running away, hiding in a corner. No one's going to be able to hide. I'm using that expression, but once we get before the Lord, there's no hiding anymore. God will confront our sin. And if we are not robed in righteousness, if our nakedness and our wretchedness is not cleansed and covered 
by the blood of Christ, we will be condemned. But when we receive the grace of God, the gift of His righteousness through Jesus Christ, we reign in life. We don't have to fear death anymore, right? If we are fearing death, there's a problem with our understanding of what Christ has done for us. I'm not saying that death is not a painful thought. Death was never meant to be good, physically speaking. But we shouldn't fear what comes after death. So who's reigning on your throne? Is it Christ? Or is it death and sin? Whose rule are you submitting yourself to? Because we're going to get to that in chapter 6. 6 is full of it. Chapter 6 is just jam-packed with the sins. How we submit ourselves. We deserve condemnation in Adam. And on top of that, we sin willingly. There's a sense of solidarity that we have with Adam if we have not come to Christ. Adam was a type, an imperfect type. We see types throughout the Old Testament. Joseph, Joshua... David, but every single one of them sinned. Every single one of them was not perfect. Even Daniel in the the prophet. We see so many examples of types, but everyone had the same problem. Sin. And it started with Adam. And it flew all the way to Christ. Christ was the first to never Sin. I don't know how many people lived from the time of Adam to the time of Christ, but in that time, not a single person lived who did not bear sin. But in Christ, something changed. We can now have hope of eternal life, because Christ is reigning. He is the one who has given us hope. And that's why we can hope. That's what Paul's trying to make. That's the whole point of chapter 12 and following. This is why you can hope that you have eternal life. This is why you know you have eternal life, because though you were represented by Adam, because you are in Christ, you are now of his seed. You no longer bear what Adam had, the sin that he had that had been transferred to you does not have to stay. You can have victory over that sin. Now Paul really actually gets back to what he started to say in verse 12. Here we actually see a a true comparison. He says, So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. See, again, I, I... I believe that Paul's trying to to point to this 
one transgression. He doesn't say through many transgressions that the condemnation of all men came in and through our relationship to Adam. He is our or was our representative, depending on where we are walking today. Even so, now we get to actually see the other half. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. See the, see the comparison? One man brought condemnation on all men. And through one act of righteousness, giving himself for us, his whole life was an act of righteousness. From beginning to end. I, Megan and I talk about this like, could you imagine being Jesus' brothers and sisters? Can't you just be like Jesus? He, he, he never talks back to me. He's so obedient, loving, caring. It's probably why you don't see many of his brothers and sisters following him in his lifetime. Because they're like, i got to get away from him because he's so good and I'm so bad. Mom always tells me how, how I don't live up to him. Of course, she knew different. I don't know how she did. I don't know. Yeah. Any, it, all that to say, that would be a, an, a tough act to follow. <laughs> so condemnation was the result of one transgression. And that condemnation spread to all men. But righteousness... The act of righteousness resulted in justification of life to all men. Do you see this comparison of death and life? You remember the Old Testament where Moses or Joshua says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose life or death. Actually, that's Moses. I'm mixing two. <laughs> I'm mixing the end of Joshua and the end of Moses' life. But... That, that compares, we see it in the Old Testament. We are either choosing life or death. When we reject God, we are choosing death. When God, by His grace, draws us to Himself and we repent of our sins and follow after God, we're choosing life. And we're choosing His righteousness. We're choosing to be declared righteous in Christ. He then gives us another comparison. For his, through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. See, he's talking about one transgression. This is, this is why the representative is so important, that he is our representative. And then, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And just in case you you've decided that Paul here is a universalist. You know what that means? All men are saved eventually. No one actually goes to hell. Uh, I want us to see Romans 
chapter 2. We've read it before. I just want us to make sure we understand that Paul is, he's, he's not contradicting himself. 2 verse 7 says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So, we'll all be judged. When we are, the righteousness of Christ is available to all who believe. Right? Paul has made that clear in the preceding chapters of Romans chapter 4. It's very clear. Those who believe after the after the example of Abraham, we're made righteous through faith. The law came in, verse 20, so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Paul is making a, a point here. So he's, he said it, my first point, I, I'm, I'm really bad at giving you all points, and I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but So my first point was, we're all represented in Adam. The second point, we're all, if we believe, are represented in Christ. And the result of both of those? Our representation in Adam is sin and death. Our representation in Christ is justification and righteousness. And as as an end to why the law cannot save, at verse 20, I would say, and my third point is, the law was a means of showing sin as it was. Or law is the demonstration of God's righteousness. So the law came in so that transgression would increase. That, is that, does that sound strange? Maybe it's just me when I was reading it last night, thinking through this. The law came so that Transgression would increase. And I I, I began to think, realize, oh, so they didn't have the law, but they were sinning anyways. What's what's happening? Transgression is is sin against known law. That makes sense? So... When God gave His law, it made it explicit that they were in sin. It made the sin against God so explicit that it it seemed like sin was increasing. The sin was already there in the past, but now it was explicitly known. They couldn't get away from it because they knew the law. They knew God's commands. Up until Moses, there were some good things taught, but there was no definitive law from God. We know that there was sin because 
What God sent a flood to destroy the whole earth. And everyone who lived on it except Noah and his family. And even Noah, a type of Christ, sinned within months of being... He was drunk in his tent. So the law came so that transgression would increase. So it would be evident. That's where I, how I feel like that is saying. It made rebellion more explicit. Right? When you sinned against God, you knew it. You, you weren't sure. You weren't... You know, there's a lot of people today in the world, they... They do things that their conscience tells them, God has put His law in our hearts. Their conscience tells them, you shouldn't do that, but they don't know why. But now, when the Israelites had God's law, they were doing it. It makes me think about the story of Augustine. His greatest sin to him was the time that he and his buddies decided to go and steal all the pears off of a guy's tree. And he hated that sin so much because he hated pears. He had no reason to go and take all the pears off that tree. Or Augustine, I don't know how you're supposed to say his name right. So, for those of you that are about to judge me. Uh, but So, him and his buddies go steal the guy's pears and they're run off by the guy. And they hate pears. Or at least Augustine, Augustine, he hated pears. But he, that sin irritated him so much because it was, he was doing it for no reason other than pure joy in sin. When we know something is wrong and we do it just because we want to, there's no actual... He didn't get any pleasure out of eating the, the pear. He got pleasure out of sinning, out of wickedness. And that's, that's the thing, like, when God gives His law, it shows the people aren't doing what they're doing because of pleasure. They're doing it because they want to rebel, as we do by nature through Adam, against God, against His representation of Himself. We decide, well... I know God said, thou shalt not kill, but I just enjoy killing. I know that you said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I enjoy doing that. I don't care what God said. This is about me. I'm okay with sin ruling in my life because it's about me. Sin itself brings me joy, if that's possible. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So even though the law came, God continued to show His grace. And eventually, when Christ comes, He not only keeps the entire law, showing righteousness, 
But in that, His grace is poured out. It's overabundance of grace. God's grace is poured out in the world on all who will believe by His work in, in their lives. Well, this all so that as sin reigned in death... I think verse 21 is such a great summary of what he's just said. So that, or in order that, this is like a purpose clause. He's, he's saying the, the purpose of all this is so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness. So you see the difference here? Sin is reigning through, a, through death. We see this in the world today. Abortion. Sin upon sin, we're murdering millions of babies. I see that rain there. You see it around the world. You hear about genocide. You hear about wars. Death is reigning early on in people's lives. It's not just, you know, you get to the ripe old age and it's okay. Or... I heard uh, something in the news this week that in the country of New Zealand, they're, they're putting out a referendum. That's where everyone can vote for abortion, assisted suicide, and euthanasia. Does that sound like death reigning? Sin is finding a, a place to reign through death? Now, whether they vote for it or not, that's a different story, but... That the thing is even coming up for referendum means that lawmakers think that it might pass. And there was actually an article saying that the lawmakers wish that they could just make the choice so that, that the people would just go along with it. So these people who are voted into office by their constituents are making they, they want to actually make this a law, but they can't. They have to do it by referendum, by, their, by their, the laws of their, their country. So, death is reigning today in the world. But, don't be hopeless. We have hope. Because, even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have hope. Our lives should be reigned through righteousness. Not a righteousness of ourselves, but a righteousness that is given to us through Christ. When we are declared righteous, when we are justified, we have a promise of eternal life, and that should give us hope and joy in a world where we see the obvious reign of sin and death. That's why you have hope in us. That's why we can sing songs like we sang this morning. Where we desire to worship God with all of our hearts. We don't, we don't want to just be worshiping Him to, to make ourselves feel good. We want to worship Him because He deserves our worship. Because He is worthy. So grace reigns through righteousness. And sin reigns in death. 
Talk about a, an utter contrast, completely like, I mean, complete opposites. I think you can say antithesis or antithesis. Sorry, see, see the, yeah, it shows my lack of educational understanding. But total, there's not, they're not even, it's almost like they're not even on the same spectrum. Even though they're complete opposite ends. But we can have life through eternal life, not just life not even just life this at this moment in time, but we have eternal life through Jesus Christ, if He's our Lord. That's the thing. I think that's so important where, where He puts at the end, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Is He your Lord? Because if He is, we should be experiencing His grace reigning in our life through righteousness, bringing about holiness. I believe we're sanctified definitively, but... The way that we live that out is different. So who is your representative? Who is genuinely on your throne? Are you still being represented by Adam? I feel like Adam kind of is like the prosecutor. <laughs> You're being prosecuted by your own representative. We've all heard about a bad lawyer, you know. I'm in I'm in prison because I was I was uh, uh, condemned for a crime I didn't commit. We hear that all the time, and sometimes you are like, "Yeah, I don't know. You look pretty rough." <laughs> But sometimes it's true. There's somebody who's in, in, in our country today, a, a country that is generally known for being fair ju- in the justice system. That doesn't mean there's not corruption. But generally there's fairness in the justice system. There are still people that are behind bars for something they did not do. And there are people walking the streets who should be behind bars. Why? Because they had a great attorney. O.J. Simpson is probably the greatest example of this. The glove didn't fit. Right? So, the difference is we have the greatest representative, the greatest attorney of all time in Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. He is our complete representative. And Adam is the worst representative. He's going to get you committed every time to prison. Or in this case, condemnation every time. If Adam is your representative, you will be judged and be separated from God. But if you are with Christ, you will have victory. You will be made righteous, declared righteous, and stand before God, and one day He will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. So who is your representative? So, a question to lead to next week. So if grace is abounding, can we just live in sin?
I'm not going to answer the question because you need to read Romans chapter 6 this week. I think Paul has a very good answer to that question. Because it seems like if you read 20 and 21, well, if grace is increasing when we sin, then that's all the more. God will get more glory out of my sin. No. Paul's going to address that. So if we are going to apply what we've heard today, how do we see that? How do we take what we've heard today and apply it to real life? How do we show our true colors? How do we live as though Christ is our representative? I think there's a couple things that we do. One is we, I know this point is like every week. I know maybe I'm just on a bandwagon, but I think this is something that Paul is really getting to. We want others to be set free. Whether that's our family members, people we work with, we should be actively seeking to bring the reign of Christ, the kingdom of God, to the lives of those we love who are lost. And the lives of those we don't really like. Can you imagine if the person you dislike the most came to Christ? It would be good for both you and I. <laughs> right? If, if the person that we really disliked, or hopefully don't hate, but if, if that's the word we want to use. Well, that's one. If Christ is reigning in our lives, we should want others to come in because we're so full of joy and hope. And we know, that it, we know that they're under the reign of sin and death. That they have no hope. So that should be, I think that's a big application. You may, maybe you've been hearing me preach the last few a couple months on Romans, and you're like, man, why does it, he always have this point? I think it's obvious, but maybe that's me. And secondly, if he's on our th- throne, then we should be submitting ourselves to his will. True. How, how often do we go to him in prayer asking him for directions? Do we go to him like a king? Lord, uh, I want to do what's going to be the greatest for your kingdom. I want to do what will give you the glory and honor that you deserve. Is that, our, is that how we approach God? Or we, do we come to him and say, God, I, I've got this job I've got to do, and i got this and that. Can you, can you come with me and make sure everything goes okay? Does, does that sound like, does the second prayer sound like He's Lord of our lives or just a facilitator of our lives? He's either Lord or He's not. So we should think about how we pray. How, how are we going to, and are we doing it? Do we even go to Him daily asking Him to use us for His kingdom? And even with the first point, do we actively ask Him, Lord, I want you to put one, at least one person in my path today that you want me to share the gospel with. Confirm it to me and use me by your Holy Spirit. I've prayed that prayer before and 
God did it, and I had to turn around on the interstate and go an extra 20 miles <laughs> to circle because this guy was hitchhiking. And I got to share the gospel, but I don't know what happened to that guy. But I prayed the prayer, and, and God did it. I have to say, I, I'm just as guilty today just thinking about this specific application of, of praying that God would give me opportunities. So I need to apply this too. Well, that's all I have, and I, I pray that I really would recommend that this week you think about that question I asked. Is Does grace then allow us to sin? Because it would seem like it brings glory or not. And read Romans chapter 6. Read it. Because I think if you read what I'm going to be preaching on the next time, it, it really helps you understand because you've read through it. I mean, it'll take you five minutes to read Romans chapter 6. We're not going to go through the whole thing uh, next week. But if you just read through it once a day or every other day, I think it would really help you as we are going through this. I, I love the book of Romans because it draws me closer to Christ. The more we know about Christ, the greater our love for Him is, right? What He's done for us, and, and that's how we can truly worship Him. If we, if we don't, you know, as we sang earlier, show me your glory. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That I might see you. What's one of the ways that he does? Through his word. And so I feel like the book of Romans is one of those books that as I read it, I'm just, my eyes are open to more of who God is. And it makes me want more of him. And makes me want to glorify him and magnify him and worship him. So I'm going to pray to end and then, um, I don't know if dad wants to dismiss or. Okay. Father, we just praise you and thank you for what Christ did for us. That he is now, by faith, our representative. That now we are declared righteous, that we can live a life that is pleasing to him. Lord, we thank you that your plan did not end with Adam, but it came all the way through Christ and even to us thousands of years after Christ that you have brought into our lives people who shared their faith with us who showed us who God was and is and what he's done for them help us Lord to be the same to be seeking to see your kingdom and your reign spread into the lives of our co-workers and our neighbors and our friends and our family and, and even our enemies, Lord. What greater love could we show to our enemies than the love of Christ and what He's done for us? Lord, work in through us this week. Help us to submit ourselves to Your reign. Help us to remember what we have in Your reign, how joyous Your reign is and how we have life in your reign and we, we are no longer under the reign of death and sin. Help us, Lord, to submit ourselves to you, we pray. We need your Holy Spirit to guide us and we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.